1: Welcome to episode 49 of Chin Music. It's a podcast presented by Fangraphs in still very cold, but not as cold as it was to Cal Illinois. And joining me this week because hey, there's prospect lists coming out. You like hearing about prospects, and we need content. And he's also quite wonderful and a finalist for the next Supreme Court Justice. It's Eric Longenhagen. Eric, how are you?
2: Pretty good. I admit that the... Uh, call I got yesterday about being a potential nominee was strange Um, but uh, don't really fit the demo it seems like anyone's going to be looking for either way so I don't (laughs) think that it'll go through Um, my sexual relationship with Lauren Bobear is probably disqualifying
1: (laughs) I'm disqualifying you from the podcast for that it's fine uh, we got some things to talk about. We are going to do some prospects, talk about Yankees, Phillies, and Diamondbacks list that were published at Fangraphs.com since Eric and I last spoke. Um, we'll also talk about labor because we have to and talk about the Hall of Fame because we have to. Um, we'll talk about our musical guest. weekend friends. We'll go through some of your emails of a moment of culture. No guests this week. I'll be also we'll be transparent with the listeners, we're kind of saving the guest bullets for when we have baseball going on. Um, don't want to over. Bullets? It, but... Huh? Lauren Bobear, Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. So we're saving the guest armor-piercing bullets for when there's baseball going on. Eric, your big news this week. David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame. And before we go into what we're going to go into, uh, I want to make it clear that I think it's really cool David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame. I'm glad he's in the Hall of Fame. I think David Ortiz is cool. I think under the current rules, he absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. Super happy for the Dominican Republic, who I'm sure lost their mind. I've told the story before, but the first time I went to the Dominican Republic, uh, in season, if you will, while, while Major League Baseball was going on, uh, was 2013. And, and when I travel, I have a habit that I like to do of turning on the local news. And so uh, I was in my hotel room, turned on the local Santa Domingo news, and it's you know just like the news you'd expect. It's a little more graphic and in Spanish, and but it's the same format. And they go, okay, let's go to the sports. Here's the sports person, and the sports person's first story was the Blue Jays beat the Red Sox five to one. David Ortiz had a double. Let's take a look. <laughs> That's how it worked, right? Really? That was the top story. The yeah, Red Sox lost five to one. David Ortiz had a double. Here's a highlight of, of David Ortiz with a an absolutely unessential double in the gap with two outs in the seventh of a game that solved. And that was their hot highlight. That's, that's what David Ortiz means to the Dominican. So I'm super happy that David Ortiz is in the Dominican, however, or is in the hall of fame. Uh, I, something interesting happened and I feel like this is the year that for the first time, I think the, 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 the line was crossed, if you will, and baseball fandom for the first time started to, to a, a much larger group said hit is kind of bullshit in terms of the voting and the voting is kind of bullshit and it's a shitty process and it's broken. And I say this, you know, as you know, many members of the baseball Race association have, have guested and or co-hosted the broadcast, including presidents of the baseball Race association. The majority of people in the baseball writers association of America are thoughtful, hall of fame voters who take it seriously but there's just enough of them to completely ruin this process who are not and you know the fact that that david ortiz is in and barry bonds is not makes no sense um but keep in mind that david ortiz got 10 percent more votes so i think it's really like 10 percent is ruining it for the rest of them but i, I think the system is is absolutely entrenched in, in messiness and you know, David Ortiz got in because he's a cool dude and people like him, as they should, because he's a cool dude who should be liked. Um, Barry Bonds did not because people don't like him. And I, I honestly believe that's the reason. It's not like you can't apply to 100% of the voters. But that's the reason. That's the 10% gap is is David Ortiz, super likable dude. Barry Bonds, not so much. And, David Ortiz
2: and, tells it like it is, and he says what the other baseball players won't say.
1: <laughs> and so you end up in that world, and, and I think it's – I don't think it makes sense. I don't think what whatever writers are trying to apply, I don't think it's being applied with any sort of consistency. Um, you also have the, the, the absolute moron submitting blank ballots or a ballot with just Jeff Kent or whatever. Um, and and I have a solution for you, which is that not only... did always, that? Did someone actually do that? Didn't Dan Shaughnessy, someone <laughs> did... I think Dan Shaughnessy might have done that and um someone had like a weird bout like that like just one guy and it was a guy who wasn't gonna get in probably not Um, Okay. yeah wow and and so it's grandstanding bs and that's the problem it's grandstanding bs and there's not a lot of people this is what kind of annoys us there's not a lot of people willing to say this is bad like they they kind of i don't know they kind of huddle around themselves and try to defend everything when it's not good and and i've seen some people lindsey adler today on twitter was saying hey maybe there's some things messed up about this um and there's not enough people doing that. And and some of this is out of their hands. They have wanted to change some things. The Hall of Fame said no. I kind of appreciate the people who don't vote because they don't think they should. Um, but my grand solution to this is let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of the plaques. Like, I think the Hall of Fame should just be a celebration and education of the history of the game, good and bad, plenty of both. And, you know, for you know, for the baseball association or a small portion of them, but enough to ruin this stuff to kind of just play historical gatekeepers is, has become a joke and it, and and they're losing their legitimacy among the baseball fandom populace and for good reason. And so put Barry Bonds in the hall of fame and then talk about the bad things, Put you know, Pete Rose in the hall of fame and say, Hey, this dude was also a bad person who gambled on baseball and was banned for life. But to, to suddenly, act like these players didn't exist act like Roger Clemens didn't exist you're you're kind of like erasing the generation of baseball that many of us grew up with in in some sort of attempt to be the morality police and and I'm I've had enough i think it's just dumb i think we have reached the point where it's just got it's just gotten utterly dumb and i was kind of happy to see kind of fandom and baseball turn against them a bit this year
2: Yeah, there is definitely a selection bias in terms of the people who we are exposed to and what their reaction to the the voting has been. Right, like it's more likely that there is going to be a huge thought and generational gap in the electorate and the you know online piece Mm -hmm. of the public and fandom that you know we tend to hear from. Uh, By the nature of our publication. I agree with you that, you know, the BBWAA has problems that extend beyond Hall of Fame voting. Um, This is damning evidence of a lot of those issues.
1: And some of it, I think, is natural. This is not not the only gatekeeping they're doing.
2: Some of it is natural. Like, um, the idea that this or that player is a first ballot Hall of Famer or not, like, it does... It is kind of ridiculous. It should just be a binary thing. But at least there is, like... I think it's natural for people to want to create a more, like, fine and detailed hierarchy among these players. Like, Hank Aaron and Robin Yount ain't the same, you know? Like, there should be a... There's there's (laughs) a distinction there. So, like, I understand some of the... There are just things like that that I think apply to some of this other stuff. Where there's, like, a natural... Instinct to do some of this stuff that is kind of BS, but at least I'm like understanding of it. Uh and then yeah, like I don't like Roger Clemens, you no. know, but like he belongs in here. And it does feel weird that like you said, and I've never thought of it this way, there is like an erasure of this generation of player. This these guys who were like mid nineties onward and now are here. Which is the generation of baseball that I grew up with in adolescence. And it is being weirdly paved over. And I think that because some of the electorate is so old, um, that like the way these players loom in my head, in my adolescent brain, is much, much larger than it does for the people who came from the generation or two before that.
1: Yeah, maybe. But like, you know, as a borderline old, Like I, 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 you don't have to, you don't have to like think like that. You don't have to become old. You don't brain wise. Like you don't have to. You just don't have to turn into that person. You don't have to turn into, well, these guys were better and then those guys are worse and the young people are bad. Like you don't have to become that person. I know. And, And don't and don't become that person. And and, but like you know, you know this and I know this even though, you know we're of different ages. Like during those times, like Barry Bonds. Sammy Sosa, Mark, we're like, the, we're the most iconic players in baseball. Yes. And we're going to act like they didn't exist. Yep. And I, and it's ridiculous. We've entered this ridiculous phase. And and I'm really, I hope it leads to some changes. To the fact that I, and that there was some pushback, but I fear at times that there are, there's a large aspect of, of the baseball association in America that kind of acts like a cop union at times. They just rally around their own no matter what, even when they get it wrong and they can't admit they get it, that, that, that there's something wrong going on.
2: Right. And, you know, I don't want to turn this into a discussion about the BBWAA. We've had and again, half again, like, a discussion about yeah, this like most podcast of podcast before.
1: Yeah. Plenty of members who I think are great. Plenty of people who have been present who I think are great. I just think the, the organization is just kind of – is failing right now in this part and needs to do something about the it.
2: The subset of people who – basically the people who didn't publicize their ballot – like it's so hilarious to me that seventy percent of seventy seven percent of the public ballots had Barry Bonds on it, and like the the it is the private unpublished ballots that are the ones that keep him off. Like that's a level of cowardice, in my opinion. You know that is like basically the the bads in the BBWAA are enough to prevent me from having I'm not motivated to join this group at all basically because of these
1: because of the bads I mean, I, there was there was a someone had today like a, they showed like the the percentage difference between the public and the private ballots and you know who had the biggest diff in the positive on the private ballots Omar Vizquel let that tell you everything you need to know you know and it's just it's just I, and again, I, I don't want I don't want to turn into a bashing the Baseball Association of America. I think the majority of them are really good and thoughtful. I do, I do think there's a, a big enough minority that's kind of fucking the whole thing up for everybody.
2: Yeah, I would not want to be associated with the association. And there's not really a, be, a real... In at the internet age, there's not a real barrier. Like, we could just start a Fangraphs Hall of Fame that does it a better way. And then if, you know, the culture... Likes it enough, it will just over time usurp the busts in Cooperstown, New York. So, yeah, someone
1: someone sent an email. I didn't I didn't use it for this week's show, but someone did send an email saying like Why don't the players like just like they started the Players Tribune? Why don't they start a Players Hall of Fame? Right. And then don't deal with this stuff.
2: And it's not. I don't think this is only a generation gap. Like no, I'm st- I still watch. Pardon the interruption a couple times a week and like Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon are nonplussed by this as well. They're not like, yep, this is just how it is. Like, no, this is dumb. And, I, and you and I don't care quite so much about the Hall of Fame. It's not like we don't think it's important, but it's not in our scope. Um, I, yeah, like I, I get, I, I get I, I, riled about some of this stuff. Like, I want Billy Wagner to be in. I'm going to want Chase Utley to be in. I wanted Kenny Lofton in and became disillusioned. You know, with some of this process, because of how <laughs> quickly Lofton just left the ballot, right? You know, let alone not get it in. Um, and so, like, there are reasons, but, but yeah, this was I. It's to the point where I
1: really don't pay attention to it because of how you know, effed I think it is. Yeah, and again, I think, think you solve this by just making this place you know the museum of baseball, and you don't worry about this whole plaque business. Which I I think the whole plaque business is just designed to, you know, to frankly just kind of promote the Hall of Fame. You know, I don't think it's necessary. You know, I don't know when you go to the Hall of Fame, like the plaque thing was the thing I spent the last time, the least amount of time in. You know, I wanted to see all the exhibits and stuff.
2: Yeah, I think it's super cool when you know a guy's batting gloves get sent there because of a thing, and like you know, Francisco Mejia has a 56 game hit streak in the minors, and then doesn't really have a great big league career. It would seem. But, like, still, there's an, a piece of his career immortalized. Like, that type of stuff, that's rad.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, Hall of Fame, fix that stuff. Um, speaking of fix that stuff, we've had some progress in labor negotiations. Um, there's still plenty of gaps and plenty of things to solve, but it just makes me feel I don't know, it makes me feel better about how I thought this was all going to go out in the first place in the sense that I, I really feel. Like, there's no sort of path to a disaster anymore. Um, and by disaster, I mean, like, you know, playing less than 100 games or, or even missing, you know, the whole season or anything like that. That's, I just don't think there's any path to that. And I, I'm pretty sure there wasn't, but now I'm really quite sure there's not. Um, but the other thing is just, like, you know, the players did give it on a couple of things. It's still going to be six years for free agents, folks. And, and I think uh, it's important to note that, like, anyone... You know, in, in in baseball lefty Twitter, I think who you know, genuinely thought we were going to see some profound structural changes are going to be sadly disappointed. And we're always going to be sadly disappointed. Like we are going to get some changes, it's going to be on the margins. Um, but, you know, I think the, the structure of baseball for the most part is going to remain pretty intact. Um, but I still think we're on pace, if you will, for a late February, early March agreement a compressed spring training, a compressed season, and somewhere around 150 games. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it's important to know, like, things are going on right now. Like they, I think don't, people don't realize that in the sense that um, you, know, you and I have talked, the Cubs are having a, a mini camp right now. Um,
2: yeah, uh, the D-backs, I, like, you know, guys threw bullpens
1: yesterday, prospects right. and stuff. There's a, a team that – I know a team that had a, a hitting camp. Um, I talks. know I know a team that planned a thing in January and then just pushed it back because they didn't want to deal with with Omicron and now that's going you know now that we seem to be kind of you know coming out of that a little bit now they're kind of ramping up their stuff. Giants, the um, Florida team, <laughs> Dominican <laughs> stuff is is super uh, is, is really rolling. Um, I don't think people realize that, but like you know a lot of the players, players who are getting ready to come to Florida or Arizona for spring training in, in Estados Unidos are. You know, head to the Dominican around now, like head to their complex around now and then spend a couple of weeks working out at the team's complexes. So everyone's everything's ramping up at complexes in the Dominican, um, like stuff's going on. I, I've talked to um, some executives and, 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 you know, some are like, yeah, we're, you know, we're getting ready to send a smaller group to our complex. Um, others are in a, are in a pure uh, holding pattern and just kind of waiting for guidance um i teams are kind of probably going to want a 2 week runway if you will between agreement and camp kicking off um and you know players reporting to camp i was going to say pitchers and catchers but it'll be everybody um i think they're probably not going to get 2 weeks it'll probably be 7 to 10 days um i think the most interesting thing is going to be what happens in those 7 to 10 days because it's going to be quite something cuz there's still a ton of free i mean we saw the flurry but there's still a ton of free agents out there there's still a lot of um, kind of unresolved things in terms of, of some trades and, and, and people trying to fill a roster spots. And th- when they need to do that with camp starting in 10 days, it's going to be crazy.
2: Yeah. Um, it's going to be crazy on our end because <laughs> there's likely to be a deluge of oh, transactional activity again. Absolutely once, nuts. Right. Once the switch gets flipped again. So there will be that part of it. Um, And then, yeah, like getting everybody into camp and the logistics of it on short notice are going to be difficult. They had a a dry run of sorts in 2020 when we stopped and started and people had to go to do the summer camp activity. Like that's a pretty quick ramp up as well. So at least there's some precedent for people have flexed this muscle before, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like minor league spring training is going to start in the middle of March that was going to happen whether or not the CBA was ratified right Um, and
1: games start on the 18th it looks like
2: and how the overlap of the big league dudes may change as a result of whenever the start date for spring training stuff is like that'll be interesting just because there's there will just be so much activity if everybody's around simultaneously right um, for a longer chunk of time than like the Two weeks, it typically happens.
1: Um, right. And usually, like, players, you know, pitchers and catchers report around Valentine's Day. Players, you know, position players come in about a week later. Minor leaguers come in first week of March. Uh, and games start mid-March, minor league games. Um, and that's all going to be very compressed. Yeah. And that'll
2: make, side. you know, in terms of, like, setting up our coverage and stuff, like, it'll be... It's it's still we can we have the opportunity to plan for most of our stuff. Ideally, I'll be running around seeing, yeah, big league spring dudes who are on you know who are on the forty man and who are like young nris basically in some of these big league games before there's minor league stuff even happening. Um, but but I don't know. What, is there anything else about the labor negotiations that you want to discuss?
1: No, I just think we're. Like, All right. It's what we have. It's what it's what happens. What we thought was going to happen and. Um, there is progress. There's still gaps to fill. They're going to fill them. Um, and I, I just, like, everything I've seen, nothing's moved my initial needle, if you will. Like, I still think it's exactly as I described. Do you want to talk about the war stuff? Sure, if you want to. Um, it's, it's arguably dangerous, but, like... Let's get in front of this. Um, I don't care. I, no, that's a good idea. No, that's a good idea. I, I, I think it's good for us to get in front of this. So, obviously, um, if you've been following this stuff, you've seen there's a couple things going on. That involve um, compensation being tied uh, both to some sort of war metric that is still undefined, yeah. uh, as well as um, public-facing prospect lists. Um, we don't like this. So, uh, you know, first of all, like no one's made it clear what war they're using. Is it going to? You know, there's obviously a few wars out there. Um, they also might make their own. Like, I don't know. Right. Uh, and we don't know. Like, no one's looped us in. And so, uh, that said, uh, war should not be used to, to find player compensation. Um, I like war. War is a really valuable number. It's also flawed. Um, right. Also- it's flawed enough that, like,
2: since yeah. you've been on the Fangraph staff, we as a group have, have been like,
1: hey, war, can we make this any better? Right, like, we've changed variables. Like yeah, we're talking about changing variables. Right. And, and 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 it's things a stat. like that. It's a stat and all of a sudden if we say hey, we're going to change this variable in this calculation and all of a sudden you know, I we feel better about it being a more accurate descriptor of a player, but all of a sudden like we're making players more and less money. Right, based and, on our decisions. Uh, I don't want any part of that, and nor should nor, nor should baseball.
2: And I don't know like uh, when all this was reported And, like, you know, some of the stat load on our site comes from Major League Baseball. And, like, Craig Edwards, who used to write for the site, works for the Players Association. Like, there are already other, like, issues that are at play here that, like, when this stuff gets reported makes our heads spin with anxiety (laughs) at this website. Um, And so, like, yeah, like, some of the horrible fatalistic things that were mentioned, you know, at the Fangraph Southwest Desert Compound were, like, if we make like there are people in baseball who like are my sources who we talk about this stuff some of the times and they're like, yeah, like maybe war could use a positional adjustment change yeah. and like maybe you want to consider using some of the stack cast stuff, which again is MLB owned uh, like in some of the way you guys are, are calculating this stuff. It's an improvement to some of maybe like the defensive metrics that you're currently using. Like these are all the types of theoretical discussions that are happening all the time. That might help us improve, like the headline stat on our website. And if we alter it, and all of a sudden, you know, are we liable for the the,
1: the for costing the, someone eight hundred thousand right, dollars?
2: If we retroactively, you know, if we change our stat and then it turns out like, hey, two years ago when player X w- got this based on his war metric, it actually should have been this. Like, are we liable for being? Like we don't know any of that stuff,
1: right? It, it, we, yeah, we, we've not been looped in. no one said, "Hey, we're going to use your number." Like nobody, and so no one, and, so, and it's a
2: publicly available number. So, like, what the fuck do we do if they do?
1: Right? It's it's we're not happy about it either. And, and we don't know. And so, you know, and then there is the concept of of kind of this extra compensation for teams. Like it's it's, it's the 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 goal is is the goal is sound. It's just the application is dumb. Uh, the goal is, you know, if you call up a guy and he wins, you know, this award or finishes here in this award and basically trying to incentivize teams to not service time manipulate when there's much better solutions to that, um, you know, that you get some sort of bonus. But it's based on if they are a X something prospect and like, well, whose prospect list are you using? And, right. you know, my first thought is they might default to their own. I'm like, Well, that certainly compromises Jim Callison and, and Jonathan Mayo pretty heavily. Right. Uh, you know, and and if they're going to use some, it's it compromises who, whoever they're using, and it's 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 not fair to them. And just say, hey, if you call up any player, how about why does he have to be a top one hundred prospect? How about if you call up a top five hundred prospect or a guy who's not on a list? And he does that. You should be incentivized. And then, like, look, like
2: on this front, again, this is so new and fresh. But like, we're working on the Rockies list this week, right? And. The Rockies have a DSL arm named Yordi Vargas, who's 18. And he looks like, and on paper the data look, looks like, the type of pitching prospect, high school pitching prospect, who would go in the middle of the first round. Yep. Over here is Benny Montgomery, who the Rockies just took eighth overall. There are some questions about his swing, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm lining these two guys up on a prospect list, like, it is hard you know, to decide which of these two guys I'd rather have. This DSL arm who I haven't seen in person but looks unbelievable in the ways that we do have access to understanding him. Right. And then here's Benny Montgomery who just went eighth, but has some like round down, scary stuff happening. And like it's a very difficult question to answer who you'd rather have. But if you're telling me, Eric Longenhagen, who's doing the fangrafts prospect list stuff right now, that where I put these guys on the the list determines like what their compensation might be. And I see that Benny Montgomery got a five million dollar bonus coming out of the draft and Jordy Vargas got like I don't know like 20K or whatever when he signed. I'm not fucking hesitating to put Yordy Vargas <laughs> higher than <laughs> Benny Montgomery. Like I'm not like the photon of light and therefore your compromise differently when it is being measured. So like right, like I'm and I'm telling the players association and Major League Baseball right now on this podcast, like, I will fucking do this. I will fucking <laughs> shit up. Okay? So don't, so stay away, okay? Like, I will do it. And the, <laughs> the quality of the, the, the work that you're utilizing to dictate the compensation of, like, all these players is only as good as who's ever sitting in these seats at the time. And it is highly variable, okay? Right. It, just like the Yankees' first baseman ain't always good as Don Mattingly, j- just because he's wearing the Yankees' uniform and playing first base, it doesn't mean he's Don Mattingly, okay? So whoever replaces Keith or Jim or Jonathan eventually, whoever replaces KG or I eventually like, there's no guarantee that they're going to be any fucking good at this at all. It is still just a person coming in to do a thing that you don't know if they're going to be good at until they actually do it. Right. And so, like to pre to plug in, like I I'm having a hard time. I got in over my skis trying to put exit velos on the on the fucking board, you know, like because it's just hard to source them consistently year after year after year. Minor league population wide, like imagine what it's like trying to use a person's. Uh, it's it's just there are all kinds of problems. It is
1: wrought with, with problems.
2: But when you when your goal is to avoid the fuck up being on you, it is really easy for everyone to just outsource it, basically. Right. Like it's so much easier if at some point this gets utilized in an unforeseen way that, you know, hurts one side or the other. It will be very easy for the, the sides to just point at fan graphs or B ref or whatever and be like, oh, it's the nerds. They fucked it up.
1: <laughs> yep and, and yeah and, and it's it's no matter how which war they use and or if they create their own which that'll be a fun negotiation to watch um like you know wars you know a you're screwing every reliever because it's very hard to accumulate war as a reliever um and, and relievers are often far more valuable than their war suggests um and you're also just and you're also screwing up like frankly soft science and tangible stuff that war doesn't measure you know and yes. and you know, I bring him up a lot because I want to, but there's a reason. Martín Maldonado is the everyday catcher for a team that's a World Series contender every year, even though he hits 190. Right? We don't
2: have a pitcher comfort with this catcher metric, and it is right. arguably like, the most important
1: thing. Right. Martín Maldonado is worth way more than his WAR, um, and and that's not going to get that's not going to get captured in WAR. Nope. And so it's it's uh, there's all sorts of stuff going on there, and it's just using any sort of metric, especially a public facing one, to determine compensation is and bad. Like, Our war is a better predictor of future performance,
2: but because it regresses the pitcher stuff, like it's Mm. using FIP basically, like it's not necessarily as great a descriptor of like what has occurred. Right. So if it's
1: a a really important distinction because like, you know, it's, it's, you you can say, it's it's like MVP voting and then you know someone hits like three forty and it's like six twenty and you go oh, Babip was crazy. It doesn't matter, it happened. It right. had value. <laughs> it it just happened. Like you you I'm what you're saying is helping to tell us what he can do or how repeatable this is. But what just happened happened and it had real value. Right. Um and, and for some of that stuff to get like taken out in and certain calculations is bad. If, if if you're using it to if, if you're a player if you're using it to determine value it's not something it's not the way you should be going like like the the you know war is not designed to determine salaries and therefore it shouldn't be used to do that
2: right and it's like Angel Baroa right was rookie of the year I'm not necessarily lining him up like on my prospect list super high or whatever even if he is rookie of the year mm. right. Like there's just there's all sorts of stuff. It's it's kind of a mess. It feels like they are trying to I don't know. They're feeling around in the dark for stuff on some of this. They they should just I
1: don't know, stay out of our shit. <laughs> Attention, Major League Baseball. And MLBPA, who seems to be agreeing to some of this stuff, stay out of our shit.
2: And this is that's one of the harder things is like, oh like if I want to frame this, if I'm some PR stooge who's like, oh, see the players. The players have agreed that war usage is a benefit to them. Like, this is a great thing. Like, if the players think that using war to determine this stuff is an upgrade to their current system, then, like, I've helped.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's a bit like that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You want to talk about prospects? Okay. We have three prospect lists to talk about that have... uh, been published since you and i last spoke in a public manner um let's start with the new york yankees because that was the one that generated the most traffic because people love new york yankees it's and new york pop- has
2: terrible traffic
1: it's the most it does it, it is the most popular team in baseball whether you like it or not uh number one with a bullet anthony volpe um kind of went i you know went nuts last year let's face it um you know was a, a first round pick in 2019 mildly local area New Jersey kid Um, Jack Leiter's high school team did okay like had an okay debut but nothing that made you think this kid was special Um, spent which is how he lived in high school yeah putting 2020 uh, spent an incredible amount of time working um, uh, privately um, now I'm compromised somebody I know with Jason Lefkowitz who used to be a scout for the Astros on my staff and and now is a private hitting instructor who reworked his swing Um, he put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle, had an explosive offensive year, just insane. Um, slugged over 600 across two levels. Um, you know, he is a, uh, he, he's good enough to stay at shortstop. He's not a great defender, but it's good enough to probably stay at shortstop. It looks like he can really hit this. I mean, this guy might, you know, be a shortstop who it's, you know, 290 with 25 down the road.
2: Yeah. It's a total reversal from the high school profile which was glove contact. You know, Volpe looked very good defensively and performed from a bat-to-ball perspective on the showcase circuit. Was a relatively compact framed, like not overt physical projection type dude, still found a way to add twenty pounds of muscle and the swing is much more athletic than it used to be. And there's like real reliable lift here now. Like, there's not gigantic power, but there's no. actionable power, and he's getting to it consistently in games.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: the Contact Foundation here has enabled all of this to, like, show up on the field almost instantaneously. And then, yeah, we, he was in the 55s at one point, but then as we were, like, looking at the broader, uh, like, universal top 100 rough list that we've started to pass around and talk about amongst ourselves, like, it was just clear that this guy belonged in that sixty tier so. so right
1: and, and it, you know the thing is like he he added all this power and and you know not the first guy to add power to his game but he did what you want to see which he, he did it and maintained his contact um which is important um yeah, he didn't just kind of set he didn't sell out for power as much as he just added power
2: how does how fast he seems to be coming and the middle infield depth in this org at all
1: view the way they should handle Glaber torres and think about Glaber torres um, I mean, I think I think Glaber should be their second baseman, first of all. I mean, I think that's the easy answer. Um, but you're right, because, you know, the number two prospect is uh, Oswald Peraza, who is going to be ready at some point this year, probably. You know, I think it's fair. He just, uh, you know, had a – he's played at double-A, had a really good year. He'll start the year at triple-A. Um, If they need someone, I imagine he'd be the guy who gets the call. And, you know, again, a number two prospect in in, in, what I think is a very good system. Um, You know, they have some guys, you know, further down the line, um, like Alexander Vargas. Um, You know, Trey Sweeney's not a middle infielder, probably, but their first-round pick looks looks like he's going to hit, at least. And so, as, as wonderful as all this is, you're still kind of the New York Yankees, and I, you know, I don't think this should prevent them from trying to sign Carlos Correa, for example, but I think Glaber Torres should be their second baseman for now. And you, and you work it out as these guys come up. That's when you work it out. you know, there's, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit in the emails, but um, I, I think it's always bad to just bank on prospects and ignore present needs.
2: Yeah. The, the Yankees 40 man situation you know, it's Gleber Torres and Gio Urshela currently projected as their starting middle infield. And I like Gio Urshela, and he was a nice pickup for the way the Yankees got him and what he, he's been yeah, able Yeah, he's really to nice, do.
1: and he shouldn't be a shortstop.
2: He shouldn't be your everyday shortstop, dude. And, like, Jason has Jose Peraza projected on the Yankees' bench right now. Like, he's not even on the 40. Yeah. So there's probably still activity that's likely to happen here. The only other mm-hmm. upper-level middle infielders on the 40 are, you mentioned Oswald Peraza and then Oswaldo Cabrera. Peraza is the one of those two who's, like, actually a shortstop. Right. Um, the What we mentioned with, like, Volpe, like, it sort of happened with Oswaldo Cabrera, who's, like, again, switch hitter, pretty average, raw power, but, like, weirdly consistent ability to get to it in games as he, the power ticked up with Cabrera, like, his defensive range dialed down. And so now he's more like a shift-aided second base, third base type guy. Um, so like, yeah, I think there's a real chance that we see Ozzy Peraza, who's like just been on our top 100 for the last couple of years. Right. And Um, so. He's just, you know, looks, he has looked like a rock solid everyday shortstop, not a star, Mm -hmm. uh, for a little, for a little while now.
1: Um, you know, you obviously, you cannot talk about Yankees prospects without at some point someone asking about Jason Dominguez, um, probably the most hyped international sign. I don't know. Let's just say in recent memory, as opposed to. He, him and Maiton are probably yeah um you know he, he obviously you know, he, he finally made his it felt like a decade between him signing and finally getting it at bad it wasn't that long but you know clearly kind of rusty when he came didn't put up huge numbers at the same time without question had unfair expectations placed upon his shoulders um you know people it's assumed he was going to hit 400 with 100 home runs um there were some struggles you know um he really he didn't hit lefties at all. Um, the power wasn't as much as some people thought. Um, we've talked about this in the past, but he is so much bigger than he was when he signed and um, still runs well, but isn't the burner he was when he signed. Um, there's you know probably more swing and miss than people thought. There's still plenty of tools here and plenty of youth. Like it's easy to forget how young this kid is. And, you know, we put a 50 on him and, you know, it's one of those things where I don't think his prospect status changes as much as kind of his variance levels changed. Like, he's a 50 right now. If he was a 60 or a 65 on next year's list, I wouldn't be shocked. If he was a 40 or a 45 on next year's list, I don't think I'd be shocked either.
2: Yeah, the his grade has always been a 50 FE, which is towards the top end of the international signing group typically. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, like, he's existing in that range. The comp that I've mentioned to you over the phone previously is, like, it's Zion Williamson, mm. where the size component here is so extreme. Like, this kid was so bulky and muscular at one point that he looked like he was going to try to join a bodybuilding competition. You know, it wasn't like a typical teenager baseball build. And there was already impressive power here for a teenager but not you couldn't really project anymore on what it was gonna be and it was more like above average it's like somewhere on either side of above average just like watching him take bp at the futures game when like francisco alvarez and brett Beatty and some of these guys were like blowing him away adley rutchman now there wasn't it wasn't close. Um, right. So you were expecting to have your jaw dropped and it wasn't. I just expected it to be a clean six and it wasn't. Now, again, it was like an 18 year old kid at the Futures game in a big league stadium. Like, there's all sorts of other stuff. And he has started to trim up a little bit mm-hmm. more. And then we're not talking about like a kid. It wasn't like Kevin Maiton where, you know, Maiton. If you look at the video of, like, Kevin Maiton, and it's gone from the internet at this point, like, there's video of Kevin Maiton working out in Tampa Bay Rays gear when he's, like, 14 or 15 years old. And if you watch that, you go, holy shit, this is <laughs> Chipper Jones.
0: <laughs>
2: and then when I saw Maiton, actually, at the Astros' old place in Kissimmee, it was his instructional league debut. It was, like, him. You you guys had, like, some Cuban on the mound who was throwing pretty hard but couldn't throw strikes I forget who it was. Really tall guy. Yep. Um but, uh, but, at that point, like Maiton had already put on a lot of weight and almost looked like a different person uh, and so, like Dominguez isn't quite in that realm because it's like muscle bulk rather than like not great weight, right, um, and this is just like the natural it's pretty natural, like you know, we're talking about young men, and their ability to mature is like pretty variable and what you do when you have it's the same for domestic high schoolers too like you give a high school kid a couple million bucks and like what happens there is going to be pretty variable uh, and it already would have been so um I'm not advocating not to pay them but um no but yeah so like we didn't change Dominguez's grade we slid him over the course of the calendar year in the Yankees list just because like I'd rather have the plug-and-play everyday shortstop in Peraza and the, like, you know, nasty late-inning bullpen weapon that we think Luis Medina would be tomorrow if they decided to bullpen him. Like, just give me those guys now. Um, but, like, Dominguez still has – his grade is the same as Termar Johnson, who was number one on our 2022 draft board.
1: Right. Let's, I'm gonna, this is an adjacent question. Um, you know, uh, the international signing period just began uh, in mid-January. Uh, the Yankees signed uh, who many think is the top player in, in Roderick Arias. Where would you put him on this list? Oh, he is
2: on the list already. Yeah, he's
1: uh, I moved oh, all the international
2: he? guys who signed over to the the board. They're not in the text article of the list.
1: So where's Roderick?
2: He's ninth.
1: I was going to say I put him Everson somewhere. And Antonio I was going to say I would put him somewhere in this Pereira Gomez thing. So we agree. Yep. Um, okay, let's finish that. Pick your sleeper. A guy with a forty or below grade. Ooh. I'll go while you look. Matt Sauer, uh, Matt oh, yeah, Sauer, Sauer. I do like Matt Sauer, and uh, Matt Sauer was a uh, highly acclaimed high school arm in the 2017 draft. Um, he it was a first round talent. There was a lot of questions about how signable he was. Um, the Yankees kind of did their homework and and out kind of outplayed a lot of teams. Um, they actually gave Sauer a bigger bonus than they gave to Clark, who was their first round pick that year. Um, Performances weren't good. Uh, he was constantly injured. He had a TJ in 2019. Um, and 2021 really represented his first healthy season. Uh, and he pitched very, very well. And, and it's good stuff. It was 93, 95. There's some 96s and 97s in there. Uh, it's a plus slider. The you know, it's, it, it's power stuff. He missed bats. There's still work to do in terms of, of, of finesse, if you will um he's just kind of attacking with power and and letting his stuff play in the zone he's not really locating or anything like that but it's it's a starter package a huge kid he's like 6'4 250 um you know with a a solid delivery I, i i think this guy looks like a you know i'm not gonna say an impact guy but i think this guy looks like a big league starter i'll take mitch spence Ooh, uh you know huge
2: breaking ball one of the better breaking balls in the org um 1994, the org's done a a good job of developing pitching for, like, the last 10 to 15 years, basically. here's another guy who was, like, a late rounder in 2019 who had, like, exciting raw material who they've now made into an actual prospect. Um, I tend to think that the the guys who are arrow up tend to stay that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Spence over 100 innings, 10... Strikeouts per nine, three walks per nine. Again, like was just a 10th rounder in 2019 coming out of, I think, South Carolina. Um, So, you know, his, like all the college guys from the 2019 draft, their 40-man roster evaluation year is just here. It's 2022. So a bunch of the college picks from 2019, even though it feels, you know, like it's arrived like that because we missed a year, like this is their eval year, and this is the type of guy who, you know, had a great season at high A. He's going to be at double A probably to start uh, 2022 here. Like, he's right on the doorstep and seems like the type of guy that the Yankees would stick on the 40 uh, a year from now and just be mm-hmm. in the big
1: leagues at some point in
2: 2023.
1: Let's move on to the Phillies. Do you have do, do you get a charge? I mean, I, you're from Pennsylvania. You grew up a Phillies fan, obviously. Yeah. You, do you get a charge out of doing the list? Uh no <laughs> fair enough number one prospect mick abel um there was some discussion whether you know uh, and there's there's discussion you know with the teams and scouts about whether they would prefer abel or shortstop uh bryson stott um we went with abel and also gave him a, a higher grade it was a 55 and a 50 um and i think what separates abel is is just like this kid's rolling out some serious serious weapons
2: yeah, the like you mentioned, Abel was solo number one basically all year with Stott and Johan Rojas existing in the like 45 plus tier behind him. And then Stott Stott's really developed physically in in a terrific way, like where he's more yeah. flexible and has just a more traditional athletic look on defense now than he did at UNLV, where like his throwing stroke was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, you know, very bendy and flexible and athletic like a typical big league shortstop. And and some of that stuff seems to have been remedied. So now it was like the gap closed to where some teams were just like, give me this plug and play everyday shortstop who's basically ready uh, over the risky 20 year old arm. But Abel is so gifted, like his stuff is much, much better than. You know the typical twenty-year-old. He's basically been the best pitcher his age on the planet for like the last five years. <laughs> like when Mick Abel was a high school sophomore in here in Arizona for Martin Luther King Weekend activity, he was already like ninety ninety four with a really good breaking ball and quality strikes, um, and like all of the body projection that comes with being six six one ninety. How do you, this was the pod of teams where we first had to start reckoning with what the automated ball strike system yeah. was doing to people's numbers in low a Southeast. Um, and so like Abel walked five and a half guys per nine, but the strikeouts and walks for both hitters and pitchers were like cranked way, way up uh, across the board for anyone who was playing in low a Southeast. And so like we try to adjust relative to the average here. And so there's still, you know, this guy's got to grow into his body and, and, get a better feel for what his stuff is capable of doing. But for a 20-year-old who's this size, like, that's not abnormal. So the ceiling here is huge. And we typically throw the extreme variance, super-duper high ceiling guys into that 55 future value tier, typically towards the back of that tier, close to 50th overall. That's where, like, Jose Barrero and Jazz Chisholm and and Ronnie Mauricio and, like, Mm -hmm. that type of guy has existed for us. And Abel is just the pitcher version of that.
1: Yeah, I, I this stuff's incredible, and, and you know there were times where, you know his this look, even though he's you know sitting what ninety four ninety six and and touching ninety eight ninety nine like his best pitch is the breaking ball, um it's a it's a monster of a breaker, and there were times where Philadelphia just took it away from him last year, um and he just kind of went fastball changeup, um in, in an attempt to teach him to not depend on that pitch as much as he, as he will in the big leagues. Um, so at times he was handicapped, even and, and, and miss as many bats as he did. And then, uh, you do need to, I think, I think we're still figuring out how to adjust for what's going on with the automated zones, But I, I do think that kind of mitigates what we saw as well. Yeah. And
2: then he had shoulder stuff at the end of the
1: year, too, which, you know, like,
2: I don't know. That's one of those things where yeah. knowing that if next spring he the stuff has, like, dialed down. Consistently, like if it's May and he's ninety ninety four, then we'll probably have a little bit of a hook with him because mm-hmm. just knowing that he came off shoulder stuff at the end of 21.
1: Um, So, I mean, they, they do have this big one-two punch and, and, and able one of the higher ceiling pitching prospects in all of baseball, and Stott, um, you know, like you said, kind of a plug-and-play, ready-to-go big league shortstop. After that, the system does fall off a little bit.
2: Yeah, you're really... You know, you're looking at the at Johan Rojas, who's third, who's in that 45-plus category where he clearly has a lot of baseball skill, huge raw power, plus-plus speed. He can really go get it in center field. He's making lots of contact. He can throw. But his swing is weird and like maybe unusable. There will have to be a pretty significant adjustment here for him to be making. Explain explain what, what's weird about it. It's just like flat and it seems disconnected, which is mm-hmm. like sort of the term that, you know, you have brought to the table here. You know, Jeremy Pena is a great example of a guy whose swing is like very connected. Um, like his feel for rotating in like the traditional baseball swingy way is is not great. Um his swing right. is kind of like Victor Robles's swing. Um and like the the tool set is sort of similar to what Robles's is was at the time where we were all going gaga over him and he was performing all the way through the minor leagues. And then once he got to the big leagues, that just sort of stopped. Um, so you know, Johan Rojas is in the forty-five plus tier for the same reason that Garrett Mitchell is in the Brewers' forty-five plus tier. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a guy with a huge foundation of tools. Who there is just something about his swing that seems to be impacting what his offensive performance looks like, uh, and he could blow up if if that stuff starts to change.
1: And, and real quick, when we're talking about connection or disconnected, think about what watch a player's when he's swinging, um, and you are watching him, you know, straight on, kind of open face um look at his shoulders and look at his hips and is he rotating like a cylinder like a singular thing that's a connected swing or is there more of a spiraling action with uh you know either the hips or the shoulders firing first that's more of a disconnected swing
2: well the hips should start to rotate like in clear first
1: right like no uh, we can disagree it's fine okay
2: I want to see the hips start to clear and square up toward the pitcher first before the hands. Like I want to see the unwinding from the butt, from like the feet up, basically, rather than I want, like to, see a, I want to see thing. a
1: rotational thing. I want to see a unicylinder. cylinder. Okay. Well, have we'll, been I listening was to swing mechanics way. disagreement with Eric Longenhagen and Kevin Goldstein. Um, Give me
2: an example of a guy. Who? Jeremy
1: Pena is very well connected. Um, I, see, I feel like it, I see... It's something, the, that, it's something you know, the Astros certainly focus on. I think you know a guy like Yordan very well connected. Um, Altuve is exceptionally connected.
2: Okay. Where is my... For sure I've got Jeremy Pena. Oh, I can't because I have my USB. I'm just going to... Do it later. We'll do it later. We'll do it but later. The, the rest of this Philly system then, it's like they have another prep arm who they just drafted... And Andrew Painter, where there's big ceiling. And then the rest of the guys toward the top of the list are more like nice role player types.
1: Right. Like Logan Hoppy is like a really good catching prospect. I don't know if he'd rank six on other lists.
2: Probably not. You know? They seem to like him quite a bit.
1: They do. Um, um,
2: they let him wear Chase Utley's number in the Fall League, which was supposed to be retired. Uh-oh. So Chase Utley, I know, ghosted the Fall League on the like number retirement ceremony portion of it. So maybe they were just like, fine, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. whatever. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, and the way that this, there's other stuff interesting about this prospect list. Like the Phillies have been more willing to do the prep arm stuff early in the draft. They still are a very tools-centric organization. Like even when they're drafting the college guys, Casey Martin from Arkansas is you know that like huge tools swing and miss college bat. And sometimes that guy turns into George Springer, and sometimes he turns into Jaron Kendall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the international the international program with Philly like it's borne so much fruit over the years. They do seem to have a proclivity for like the projectionless sorts uh, like Hyland Ortiz, like Francisco Morales, like uh, Starlin Castillo, Yemal Flores. Like these are all dudes who are physically mature entities when they're entering pro ball, um, which is is much different than than is typical for the international market.
1: Yeah. And they've they've had um, incredible stability. Uh, internationally with with um with Sal running their international department since forever um since the 1990s i believe
2: Sal Agostinelli, yeah sal's been around a long long time certainly he's, he's been a around personality
1: since I... he's he's something else man yeah yeah
2: um and he's been around doing this since you know the 90s right so um and he does it like i'm pretty sure Logan Ohapi is partially his responsibility too? like there. He seems to go out. I've seen him at plenty of high school and college stuff yep. during the spring as well. He, he, his duties are not strictly limited to international scouting. Mm-hmm. He um, seems to be doing stuff in the room with the families that like, yeah. Convince sure. Logan Ohapi to sign for 200 K rather than go to school because like Sal has that type of
1: charisma. Who's your sleeper here? 40, 40 FV or below.
2: I know I should like prepare for this. I really like Micah Ottenbright. Yeah. Good pick. Uh, another I'll high school arm who they pick. drafted here in 2021. They gave low six figures, mid six figures bonuses to a bunch of high schoolers in 2021. Sort of spreading the love around a little bit. Ottenbright. It's 64 190. All sorts of physical projection. We'll show you three-plus pitches now, and it's going to be about dialing in any amount of strike throwing. Um, So, you know, the way we've started to to value this type of teenage pitching prospect is towards the top of the 40 future value tier, and
1: he's just in that, you know, million-dollar prep arm area. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with James McArthur. Um not cuz I think James McArthur is an impact player, I think but I think he's going to pitch in the big leagues, he might get there this year and I think he's going to stick for a while. Um as a as a pretty nice middle reliever to seventh inning guy who, you know, spends 10 years in the big leagues. Um Yep. This is a 12th round pick out of Old Miss. This is a guy who had really good data and not great performance uh which is why he ended up in the 12th round. Uh it's you know mid to mid you know, low to mid 90s fastball with uh killer shape very very vertical old school like the original pitch data archetype was the guy with these vertical attacks so super elevating fastball super deep breaking ball that's a pretty good one Um, I I think this guy could be a a, a pretty nice bullpen piece and and quickly and last yep Um, our last list is the Arizona Diamondbacks who um, let's face it need a good system do they have one yeah Very good system.
2: Um, Star power up top. Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas. uh, They will start to arrive relatively soon. Thomas should be up in 2022. Um, Jordan Lawler, who they just took high in the draft, gave just shy of $7 million to. More in the 50 tier for me. A little less obvious, like huge tools, star power type stuff happening there, think he is more likely to wind up like an average everyday player than as a star, hence the fifty. I also needed a shoulder surgery. Right, yeah. Well Corbin Carroll and Wall are both like Can you imagine having worked for the Diamondbacks in the last year, like and all the things that happened with prospects getting hurt and having, you know, visa issues related to legal problems and Bumgarner and like Robbie Ray leaving and then doing what he did. Uh, you know, like it. It was a pretty rough year. Mm-hmm. Drama around the arena situation. Um, so yeah, like there, there's so much depth here. You have the high end position player guys who are typically of a piece. This team loves the little compact, short levered, left handed hitting guys. Uh, Corbin Carroll is that. Alec Thomas is that. A bunch of the other lower ranked prospects, um, are that type of dude, and then. The pitching below that uh, is robust. Some of it is flawed in a way that forces relief projection in my mind, um, or like five and dive starter type stuff. Like Ryan Nelson has huge stuff. Um, probably an inefficient five to six inning type starter. Yeah, just on the outside of our top one hundred, and and then you know some of the the other arms who they've used high picks on lately are sort of in that 45 future value tier at this stage.
1: Does Alec Thomas's grade for you um, right now, he's a 55 change. If he's a for you, how much does it change? If at all, if if he's a left fielder, because he's a little, he's a little stretched in center. He's not bad. He's a little stretched in center. You know, he doesn't have an arm for right. So if center doesn't work out, all of a sudden he's a left fielder, it's not, it's, he's, he's not powerless, but it's not left classic left field power. He can't hit. Um, like it's, it's, he just kind of becomes a different player.
2: I agree with you. The year over year average in left field is probably lower than you'd expect. What would you I, guess yeah, the adjusted runs yeah. created plus on averages in left field for the last like six years? What do you,
1: how are you measuring that? You're measuring that every at bat by a left fielder. Yes. See, I don't think that's a good way to measure, but I'm going to, I'll am gonna. answer anyway. Um, you said WRC Plus, right? Right. 112. It's actually 100.
2: Wow. <laughs> uh, like year over year since 2015. 99, 97, 100, 102, 101, 103, 99. Mm-hmm. Um, we already kind of, like there are people in baseball who just think Alec Thomas should be a six. Uh, and I think that, knowing that he's likely to be in left field, if not immediately, but very soon is part of why he's only a 55. Um, he has a Brett Gardner vibe. Like he is that like type of build. His swing is much more athletic than Gardner's. And like, maybe that will result in more power, but it just seems like a guy who is in that vein mm-hmm. where there's, a well-rounded blend of contact, power, speed. If he's in left field, that maybe he's like a plus or plus plus defensive left fielder. Like, it's it's a lot of good stuff. So I don't think Alec Thomas is ever going to have hit like more than twenty-five home runs or whatever. But I still think he's an above-average everyday player in part because like he's just so well-rounded.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we would be remiss if we did not talk uh, for a second about uh, Christian Robinson, who ranks 14th on this list. Um, You know, before this list was published, you and I had a private conversation for about half an hour about what to do here. Um, Can you talk about why we had to have a conversation about what to do here?
2: Yeah. And this is probably one of the longest individual player. Yeah. super long. That has like ever been written on the site. Um, Yeah, we've talked about Christian's situation on the podcast before. Uh, During, like, the first couple months of the pandemic, he was here in Arizona, couldn't leave. Future of baseball, at least the the immediate future of it, was, like, up in the air. What people like Christian were going to be doing for the next year was up in the air. And he had, like, a mental break, uh, was wandering the highway, out of the, on the West end of the Metro here, cops got called trying to put him in the, in the car, uh, the cruiser, the, the cop was, and like, you know, Christian punched him. Um, so he's like, this, again, this is like all in the blurb. And part of the reason that we spent a half hour talking about it is so that it could be written about very precisely, uh, with care in the blurb. Um, you know, I feel bad for the cop who got punched um, but like Christian was in the middle of a, of a mental yeah, health I, crisis right,
1: and, and feel bad for Christian Robinson too.
2: Yeah. Yes. Like totally sympathize with Christian Robinson who was having, and again, this is like in the reporting that Nick Picoro and Zach Buchanan have done, like Christian was having paranoid delusions about the government spying on him and like his loved ones betraying him in a way that doesn't make sense. Like he was not doing well. So I just like – this is – we just tried to think about how do we write about this? It's a complicated issue, which I think we succeeded at in the blurb.
1: Um, And to be fair, like, so he he, he was sentenced, and and because of that, he has a visa issue because of of the crime he's been found guilty of. Right, Um, yeah.
2: He pleaded guilty to assaulting a police officer and was given – Probation, community service. He's already com- completed the community service portion of it. But yeah, there have been like other hearings during the course of the last year that have, you know, aimed at determining some of what will happen, including whether or not he can like play baseball over here. Not him not getting into the country is possible because he has a felony conviction, but then he can't complete his probation if he's not in the the country which will also have an impact on like his ability to enter the country
1: right it's a very catch-22 thing and then uh, you know what they're what they're you know what his legal representatives are trying to do is is get this thing popped down to a misdemeanor since he has done the community service and he's also um you know gotten treatment and been a good person um as well as just mitigating factors of the crime in the sense that he was having um a mental health episode and so trying to, to to get some Um, empathy from the legal system, not always the easiest thing to do. Um, And uh, an attempt to kind of make this all a little better. Yeah. And so, but as we are, as we sit right now, like there are some unknowns about just simply his ability to play professional baseball this year.
2: Sure. The, the org, we tried to, you know, source on this as best we could uh, to have an understanding of whether or not he was going to play, because at some point you do have to, we're not going to like quantify the infraction here, which is again, like folks should go read the blurb. Um, We try not to do that anyway. At one point that was not the case. Like at one point I was doing this on my own and Alex Verdugo was a prospect Mm -hmm. and people in baseball knew and thought stuff about Alex Verdugo's behavior that impacted his value in the way you think about him, like trading for him. And like, as a, player he was probably just a 60 the whole time and then i put verdugo like way 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 at the back of the 100 or whatever and then it just felt like i quantified the stuff he did is like you know this guy it behaves this way and i think that means that like i would take him a 100 spots lower on like a prospect list like it just felt fucked up to think about it that way mm-hmm. in retrospect and so we don't do that anyway even whether we think that like what the player did was disqualifying, like with Luke Heimlich, who was on our draft board. But in the blurb, it's just like, "Look, we wouldn't take this guy. This is where his talent belongs." But we're not going to like not mention him, and we're not going to, you know, also just blindly say like, "Yeah, Luke Heimlich's the 20th best player in the draft" or whatever, right? Um, or the probably closer to the 10th best player in that draft, actually. But uh, but yeah, with Christian, it's like this is what his tools are. Certainly, the baseball piece of this is sort of up in the air because he'll have gone a couple years without seeing regular at-bats, and that might have a serious impact on his development. For sure. But if you still look at what his talent is, he still lines up in about this place. And again, in the blurb, like I kind of make an argument as to some of the situations that were kind of like this, where a player doesn't really have a track record or there's a huge gap in the track record or they're is anticipated that there will be one in Noah Song's case. Like, you're just taking a guy knowing that there's going to be a two-year gap. Um, And I still think that Christian Robinson, just because of how he was performing, what the level of of talent was, like, I'm still taking this guy probably in the late first round, early sandwich round if he were just a 21-year-old college prospect, and that's how old he is. So
0: um,
2: his hit tool risk isn't any more extreme than Jaron Kendall's was. And Jaron Kendall went in the back of the first round. So it seems like a decent barometer for where to line him up. But ultimately, like, I just want I don't interact with the players really. I'm observant in close proximity to the players. Friend of the podcast, Bill Mitchell, tends to interact with the players, but he doesn't like rank them on all the prospect lists. So it's fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Christian is a very nice young guy. Yeah. Like, he's a nice, happy joke. Like, it was very surprising. I, you know, I guess it wasn't like given the state of the world, but like he didn't seem like someone who would hit anybody. (laughs) Yeah, right. Christian's like, every time I've seen this kid, he's, he's nice to the point where like people would sort of define it as almost like a childish immaturity thing because of how like happy go lucky he is. It's been described in that way as well. He's just a nice jovial young kid. So I don't know. It's a weird thing. Who's your sleeper? Connor Grammis. No, oh,
1: stuff city.
2: Connor Grammis um, was a two way player at Xavier. When he would pitch at Xavier, he was sitting like 94, 97. He touched 98 or 99 pretty regularly. I think there was a hundo in there a couple times. Sixes and sevens on his sliders at the uh-huh. time, but 20 control. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he seemed to have found some amount of consistency, and then he blew out.
1: Um, he was so, also giving up more hits than you'd expect. Huh. Okay. And I wasn't sure what to make of it. Like it was very I just found it very strange. So I knocked the
2: Diamondbacks dev, specifically around pitchers, in the system overview. And again, like, you know, Conor Grammis, for a brief moment, seemed to... Buck that trend. Yeah. Yeah. People with the diamondbacks uh were not happy about my system overview, howdy. Um but uh like look like Robbie Ray can't leave the org and do what he did and then you know you complain about this. (laughs) So (laughs) like there's just plenty of other examples where these guys have just sort of held serve with the way they their grades were when they were acquired, uh, and not really gotten any better. And the group at the big league level is similar to, like, Zach Gallen can't stay healthy, Madison Bumgarner. They signed to a big deal and hasn't been able to sustain performance. There's the Robbie Ray situation, Caleb Smith, you know, Julio Frias. It's a a long list of guys who are just kind of like, yeah,
0: not really happening here.
2: Um, Not at the rate that the other orgs are developing arms. No Mm -hmm. way. Not in a way that can compete with... LA, uh, in this division, San Francisco in this division, like takes these guys and augments them in a way that like is better than people thought they were going to be like, um, I don't know, but I think that the D backs are still trying to work some of that stuff out, but they're flush with talent. Like, I think the way they scout has filled their system with talent.
1: I'm going to go with Alvin Guzman. Um, who is role reversal here. a 20-year-old uh, tooled-out center fielder. Um, plus run, plus center, plus arm, potential, it's plus raw, potential for plus real power, um, and and might never hit. We'll figure that out as we go. <laughs> the tools are crazy. It's crazy. Um. So that's it for that. We'll take a break. We'll come back. you listen to a song by Weekend Friends. Do your emails. Catch up with Eric. We'll your moment of culture. Stick around.
0: like me. so fill me
1: Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to Chin Music, the number one baseball podcast in both Ecuador and Hungary, according to Apple's podcast ratings. Very proud of that. If you're listening to us in Ecuador, hola. And if you're listening to us in Hungary, hello. I don't I, I don't even have <laughs> rudimentary Hungarian, I just realized. Bolski, bolski, bolski.
2: <laughs> uh, there's a <laughs> venue in <laughs> Northampton, Pennsylvania. It's along the river. Uh, called the Hungarian Hall. Mm. And it is what you think it is. Like, it's a bar. It's like a dive bar for, uh, you know, Eastern Pennsylvanian whites. <laughs> like people like my family. <laughs>
1: EPWs.
2: Who, you know, are from, have like Irish, German, Slovak, Hungarian. And it's just locally referred to as the Hunky Hall. <laughs> have you been there? I've been there, I've had beers there, I've had like I've been there for people's wakes. I've been I've played the guitar in that hall that like it's is is wait I'm gonna ask you my dad.
1: Pers- I'm gonna ask you a personal question now. Is that the origin of your last name?
2: No. Um what is your last name? Longenhagen is Germanic. Okay. There's not like a Longenhagen who came through. Ellis Island. There are other people in my family who knew much more about my heritage than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like Long and Hagen, Herity, Like my my paternal grandmother's last name was Herity. Um, and then on my mom's side, I'm like a lot of English and Slovak. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like Irish German on my on my dad's side. Gotcha. And Long and Hagen's like the little bit – before I found out that Ancestry.com is like a huge ripoff, I was, I don't know, like 23 or whatever. Like I got interested in this for a little while and Long and Higgins were in and out of Catasauqua. Like my family lived in North Carolina for a while uh, in Montreal. My grandfather lived in Montreal for a little while and did something with molasses. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but like Long and Higgins were in Catasauqua off and on since like the mid 1800s basically like um so my roots feel like they're in catasauqua pennsylvania
1: there you go we were listening yeah. to a song there by weekend friends before we started talking about ancestry and hungarian words that what about you what sephardic Where? um my father's like sephardic jew um and my mother's a weird combo of um Russian and then standard like Irish English stuff. Okay. Gotcha. It's not complicated. I there's also like all sorts of weird family stuff that it, it's I don't have a big family. I have a very small family. Like I you know, I there's cousins I've never met. You know, it's one of those families. Um like okay. it and um like there's all sorts of like weird weird stuff where um like certain people who you thought were like your grandfather your uncle might not have been the actual father of the niece or whatever it's all sorts of like not really sure where all the bloodlines go um yeah it's a it's a strange family it's it i don't i don't know anything like past my grandparents um at all and it's it's all very funky um yeah it's weird and, and and weird past and stuff um remember um you know, like a, more than a decade ago looking at, you know, stuff and just talking to my mom and she was going through all these, all this, her jewelry box. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Where'd you get that? She goes, I don't know. Maybe I think your grandfather probably stole it or something. No, like, what? Oh Yeah, he used to do that kind of thing. Like, oh, okay, great.
2: My uncle Greg went to Ireland and was with some of our distant cousins for a time at one point. Uh, and my cousin Bobby has done a lot of work on our family tree. And at points is like, You know, was going through diagrams with it, uh, with other members of my family, like at holiday stuff a couple years ago. My brother Scotty had some stuff, like he was interested in that for a while. But um, we got my parents a 23andMe kit for Christmas one year, and my mom did it, which is how I found out that there was so much English going on. And my dad said people are going to steal my identity, (laughs) and he didn't do it. So (laughs) I don't know. Really, what's going on over there? Um, But that can, you know, he had a conspiratorial way of thinking about it, basically. Right. Uh, Maybe he was protecting one of my relatives from being found out for a crime because it turns out that your DNA just gets used to determine, like, that database is just Uh accessible, right? Populate
1: that database, huh?
2: So then that's me being conspiratorial. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I don't really fucking know.
1: Anyway, before we did this, you listen to a song by Weekend Friends. This is from their most recent album, Quitter, which came out last October. Uh, Portland, Maine's very own trio, indie rock trio on Don Giovanni Records, this uh, Sonia Storino, Annie Hoffman, and Adam Hand, producing some power pop, and it's good stuff. It's uh, I, I like them a lot. It's a fun album. The, the kind of the, the theme of the album is quitting music and getting a real job or rather the empty threat of doing so. And it, it, a lot of stuff is about, it. it's not easy to be in the music biz these days. The, the music biz works against you as a musician. Um, but they're really good. I like them. They're getting ready to start a tour, um, maybe in March, hopefully. Um, roll through the Southeast to start. Um, but check them out. Weekend Friends, you can find more about them at Don Giovanni Records. You can find out more about them at uh, Weekend Friends at bandcamp.com and weekend as in we're made more week not weekend weekend so w-e-a-k-e-n-e-d dotbandcamp.com thanks to them and thanks to don divan arrogance as always for providing music to the show you ready for emails yeah let's do it send us emails emails chinmusic at fangraphs.com we read all of them first email comes from patrick patrick says kevin it feels like ages ago but the new shortstop and the new second baseman for the Rangers have put a big question mark about some of their more interesting middle infield prospects. If you were in charge, how would you deal with the situation? Do you see if the prospects can adapt to a new position? Do you trade them? Do you feel pressure to make a move this season? I'm sure there's no hard and fast rule, but how do you feel things out in a situation like this? Um, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about the Yankees' middle infield situation. You absolutely can't bank on prospects. And, and with all of these problems... You solve them when you have to. And I'm always reminded of a time 20 years ago, at least 20, where the Texas Rangers, again, had the much-hyped, they even had a nickname for this group of prospects. They were their three starting pitching prospects, and they were called a DVD. and like, this was going to be the key, the future of the Rangers rotation. And it was John Danks, Edison Volquez, and Thomas Diamond. And it was just like, yeah, these are going to be our one, two, three starters for a decade. It never happens. Never. So like, Damn. you can have these prospects, but you can't have them like too, get, provide too much of an impact on what you're trying to do at the big league level. Like, If they create a problem, you solve it then, but you don't solve it before the problem is created.
2: And then specifically with the Rangers now... Some of this is already naturally shaking out. Like, Ezekiel Duran looked surprisingly good at third
1: base in the ball league. But Josh Young's the third baseman.
2: Right, that's true. Um, But, yeah, like, Josh Smith, who came over from the Yankees in the Gallo deal, like, he can kind of play anywhere. Jonathan Ornelas has experience playing everywhere. Um, I think there are just other natural ways that this will...
1: Yeah, there's just no such thing as too itself. many players. And, and, and maybe, you know, Josh Young ends up at first and, and you know, you, you let Durant play a third. Like, there's all, there's all sorts of possibilities here. Um, but there's never too such a thing as too many players. Like, it, it's really rare to be that jammed up where you have to make a move because you have too many players somewhere. It's It just never, almost never... Every time you expect it to happen, it almost never happens.
2: Maybe... Texas is a candidate to reshape some of this. Like, this is an abnormal amount of infield hitter prospects who are quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Foscue and Trevor Halver. is not really a second baseman. He's an experimental second baseman.
0: Mm-hmm, there are, like, mm-hmm.
2: reasons to believe, again, coming over from the Yankees in the Gallo deal. Um, However was here at Arizona State Played the outfield But the infield was all sorts of good guys Like Gage Workman Drew Swift Alika Williams They can all really pick it Spencer Torkelson had to move to first base Rather than try third Because of that group That was right. all sort of like dominoed down Because of Swift basically Um, And then so yeah Like However played infield in high school And so you gotta try it again uh, Otherwise he's not really like a prospect um, But He and Justin Foscue aren't 40-man ads till 23. So there's that is really your timeline for shaking some of this stuff out. I wonder if this would be like, hey, you team over there have too much pitching depth on the farm. Uh, do you want to like balance some of this out with some of our hitting prospects? Prospect for prospect trades are pretty rare, but this is one of those where you could maybe see them being motivated to do it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's an interesting situation, but yeah, it's my basic answer is like, it's wait for it to become a problem before you solve that problem. Right.
2: And then I think that December
1: 23 is when
2: that's the time it will start to be a problem.
1: Yeah. Our our next email comes from Alan. Alan says, I am not writing to ask for your prediction as to when a new CBA will be formalized or what the new CBA will look like. Thank you, Alan. Although you're welcome to voice your opinions. We've done that. Mm -hmm. What I'm curious about is the actual process. Aside from the obvious names, Tony Clark, Rob Manfred, what, who, rather, are the main parties directing negotiations? Who actually sits at the table? Do both sides have different committees negotiating different parts of the CBA simultaneously? Or is everything done at the main table? One can assume both sides have their respective teams of lawyers, accountants, analysts, or former front office people involved on either side. If so, would a former front office executive be able to get hired by a team if they once worked for the Players Association? Um... The negotiations are not. There's not a lot of parallel stuff yet. That'll happen like when they're getting closer to it, to take care of the little stuff. Right now, the negotiations tend to be somewhere around three to five on each side. So Tony Clark has himself, the main lawyer guy, whose name I can't remember, and and you know a couple higher ups at the at the union. Rob Manfred will always have Dan Halem, who's kind of Manfred's number two and and their main legal guy. Even though Manfred himself obviously has a background in labor negotiation, um, and you know some other people um president pierce my dog who just barked as well as um you know for one day this week it was dick Montfort, the owner of the rockies so there tends to be an owner there and a lot of people had a lot of fun with the fact that dick Montfort was there as they should have um at the same time like asking that you know owners they, they want the owners to be directly involved in the negotiations but at the same time it is a a a kind of a full-time commitment if you are an owner involved in negotiations as far as like both preparing for and uh being present for the negotiations and most of the owners want no part of it they don't have either the time nor the inclination um which is why you got dick monfort um and so it's, it's it's around like like three to five but sitting across from three to five either virtually or together we've seen both in these negotiations um, and, you know, the, the, the kind of fan outs and the smaller conversations won't happen until they get closer to a deal to take care of, like, little little stuff that we don't even think about that doesn't get written about. Because the CBA is very long. It's, it's, you know, it's triple digit pages. There's all sorts of little shit to hash out. And that'll get done, you know, inside conversations. But right now, it's, it's more of like four or five against five or five. I don't know of any former front office people involved with the PA. I don't. I think be, doing so would not discount them for being hired by a team. I will say this. There is a remarkable number of very high-up people, teams, be they AGMs or GMs, who do have direct experience working for Major League Baseball and, in particular, working for the LRB, which is a labor relations sport. Working in, working in labor for Major League Baseball, there's a tremendous number of AGMs and GMs who, at some point, have that on their resume.
2: I have nothing to add. I know very little... <laughs> about this part of the process.
1: Our next email comes from Josh. Josh says, Hey KG, an esteemed co-host or the honorable president Pierce, if this doesn't make the air. Well, they're both here. So yep. uh, it's my understanding that if I were to seek arbitration, as opposed to going to court, both parties would likely sign some contract to pay the arbitrator. Does this work the same way when a player seeks arbitration with the player and their agent footing the bill? Or does the team foot the bill? Thanks. I hope all as well. Um, they split the bill. So arbitration is, uh, is is part of the CBA, how the arbitration is defined. And Major League Baseball and the Players Union agreed to use the American Arbitration Association, which is by far the largest arbitration group in baseball, and the costs are split. I think an interesting thing here that I think a lot of people don't know is that um, arbitration cases are handled by Um, you know, accredited arbitrators from the American Arbitration Association. Most of them are retired judges. When you go to arbitration, chances are really good. If not overwhelming that your arbitrator doesn't know anything about baseball, doesn't know who this player is, has never seen them hit a triple, like doesn't even know. Like they are simply, they're arbitrators. They're not baseball people. The arbitration judges who are making their call here. Yes. The player deserves 4 million or yes, the, the team deserves to pay him three and a half. Are not baseball people at all they're arbitrators they're they're they tend to be like again to use uh, air, they tend to be uh old white people um and retired judges who go into arbitration when they retire which is a, a, a common career path um but more often than not they have no idea who the player is you're, you're making an argument again to, to someone which is why you know you talk about arbitration how they use very basic stats it's one of the reasons they're not baseball fans. Like, you can't prevent them with more advanced stuff. It's going to... They're, they're, they're too behind the curve. It, it's a weird part of the process. But the yeah. bill split. Yeah,
2: I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like... Cool, like, this is one of those... Sure, go do your ARB thing. I mean, you know, the process, of course, like... People like ideas. how the sausage
1: is made stuff.
2: People love how the sausage is made stuff. And this is... I when I hear about the R process, like I just imagine the poor people involved who have to go sit there yeah, and argue against the player in their org who they probably
1: like. It's one of the reasons it's one of the main reasons. I mean, other than the manpower, it's just a lot of teams farm it out, right? A lot of teams hire legal teams to handle their arbitration that are not team employees. They're they're contracted out simply to do arbitration. So when they go to the hearing it's not like someone who works for the team going "yeah this guy kind of stinks" you know it's not that's it's such a shitty dynamic that they act that's one of the reasons they don't use their own people
2: what is the sort of way that information is manipulated knowing that the arbitrator is sort of in the dark about baseball specifics obviously the way that it seems more recently to have manifested is like some of these outdated means of evaluation are still heavily, heavily influential in the art process.
1: Oh, absolutely. So it, it, it all the arbitration process mostly revolves around comps. So you say, well, look, like we asked for 5.25 million because the, our player is like these three players and they average around five and a half million and you pick and you cherry pick and you pick basics. That, I mean, look, I mean, our players hit two eighty three over the last three years, just like this guy. You know this guy's hit 57 home runs over the last two years, just like this guy who's getting five and a half million. And and you it, it works like that. It's very basic, almost always counting numbers. Um, you no, know, not a lot of. There's certainly no war, um, nice. but it's 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 very basic kind of counting numbers, and it's 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 and you just cherry pick your comps. And saves and team, right? Yeah, saves, bad. innings, wins, home runs, hits. Um. Like playing time, like plate appearances makes it can be a big factor. And I say a big factor, but it's all like, again, it's arbitrary. Like no one, no one knows what the, what the pattern is to win an arbitration case. And no one would, teams, you just told you won or you lost. First of all, like you, you don't get a Supreme Court document with people voting and explaining why, like you just get like, we've sided with the team or we've sided with the player. There's no guidance. There's no, there's no information after that. Um, And so teams have no idea what they did right or wrong. And our players have no idea what they did right or wrong to win or lose the case. It's it's an utterly ridiculous process. Right. Seems to be the theme of the show. Final email comes from Chris. Chris says, dear Kevin and provisional co-host. This is more of a cultural question than a baseball question, but it came to me through baseball. So do with that what you will. The Tigers recently hired Euclides Rojas as their director of Latin player development, which is probably fine, I don't know. But what they did but what they when they did, it occurred to me that more than a handful of Latin coaches and players are seemingly named after famous people or myths from ancient Greece. We've seen Orestes Destrata, Aristides Aquino, Socrates Brito, Hippolito Pracardo. There are multiple players right now named Archimedes, including Archimedes Camanero, whose middle name is Euclides. And you could go on Baseball Reference, you can find a Leonidas or two, and even a Euripides. I know all names and naming conventions are weird until they aren't, but it just seems odd that so many players from heavily Catholic countries would have names from an ancient culture that is famously polytheistic. Curious if you have any thoughts on this. Thanks for a great show. I have thoughts. Um, yes, you will see a lot of interesting first names, particularly from the Dominican Republic and it is a cultural thing there is a culture there that that kind of they look for unique first names and it's 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 gotten they it got to the point at one point where this bad person in the government actually tried to make it illegal to give your kid a weird name um you know, they did it,
2: that in australia too
1: and so um the, I, I, I remember reading the case and they were really upset that someone named their 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 daughter Kiara uh, Pina, which is welcome pineapple and but you do see all sorts of interesting first names. It is it is like a cultural thing. Oh, we're having a kid. We need to come up with a unique name. Um, and you see often like the strangely anglicized first names um, that are spelled funny, like a lot of different versions of Jason and then Michael and things like that. Um, but they often dig a little deeper um, and end up you know, finding historical names, which is why you see all of these, these names with, with, with Greek. Um, at times I find more interesting the Cubans in the sense that of the russian influence of the names from obviously the russian cuba relationship and you know we we say yuli guriel yuli's real name is yulieski and there's a lot of 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 guys with um with with russian sounding vladimirs and they have vladimirs and Vladimir's it it does cross over to some of the other um caribbean countries but it's there is a, there is a part of Dominican culture, which is like, we're having a baby. He needs, he or she needs to have a, a unique first name. And that, it's not like a, an attachment to ancient Greece as much as that's on a list of names. And wow, I've, I've never seen an Aristides. We'll name him Aristides. And, um, it, but it is like a thing you do. Like there, there's not a, it's not like we're going to name him Bob because of our uncle Bob, who we love. It's like, we need to find a unique first name is a, is a frequent mindset in the Dominican Republic when you're having a baby. And that's why you have that. Uh, I pulled up an
2: article from the National Post, 2013, the headline is, Mafia, no fear, a no-go, but number 16 bus shelter, okay, New Zealand releases <laughs> re- releases banned baby names list.
1: So New Zealand actually did ban baby names.
2: <laughs> yes, New Zealand, Ugh. and in this article it does mention Sweden and the Dominican Republic as places where naming laws are in place to curb parents with kooky name ideas. Sweden had to turn away a Superman once and also a name that breaks all laws of language. Berfk 11116. <laughs>
0: this
2: is what it's, This is what's in quotes on the thing. No one will get to see this, but I'm going to send it to you via Slack. And people can find this article. <laughs> Didn't
1: Elon Musk name his baby something stupid? I don't know. Because he's a bad Probably. stupid person. Um, but yeah, that's your reason. That's why you have fun names. It, it's, it's, it's just part of cult. Like, like we're having a, da- a baby and then we we want to cook the unique name It's why you, it's it's why it's there and so some of them have looked up historical names and you get all these, right. these greek names eric what's up uh, what you been up to oh first of all that's it for email send emails chinmusic at com. and also if you listen to us in that apple environment please rate and review the podcast it helps us for reasons i cannot explain and maybe we can be number one in places other than ecuador and hungary we're never going to get like number one in the United States. We just, this show's not designed for that. But, but Ecuador and Hungary, I'll take it.
2: Cool. Yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> Eric, what have you been up to?
2: Just really working on prospect lists.
1: What's your, uh, you know, we talked earlier about how things are kind of getting going, right? And the Cubs are having a mini camp and the, and the mm-hmm. White Sox are doing a hitting camp. And, you know, if, if you uh, live where you live, uh, and you know, you drive by complexes; they're not dark and empty right now. Things are happening. You can things are moving around. Um, at what point do you say to yourself, "Hey, I'm going to get out of the house and go watch people do baseball stuff"?
2: Uh, it is always just in the air now. At this point, including this weekend, junior college ball begins, um, and there's like a robust collection of high school. Teams that are going to be playing uh, ball in and around the Las Vegas area this weekend. So that will be like a hot spot for scouts and scouting this weekend. Um, Am I far enough along on the Pirates list and beyond to like just drop everything and go spend the weekend driving around Las Vegas doing that? Probably not. (laughs) Um, At the same time, you know, like Tamar Johnson was in town during MLK weekend, and I dropped everything to go see him twice in a day. Sure. So, like, there's give and take, but the the clockwork has begun to rotate again here. Um, and, you know, the junior college stuff, when it's in my backyard, I will probably kick out and go do. Some of the pro prospect activity, like the Cubs stuff, like, I can't get in to see that. Um, so that's
1: closed off to the public right now.
2: Right. So, I mean, it, it is just this random and specific, like the first day, the first day they did stuff, they didn't, they forgot to like shut the gate, you know, so they're on which like, is, the which back- is not an uncommon occurrence. Right. Because who would be, show up, but like, you know, one of the local photographers here who was also like QAnon anti-vax loon. <laughs> <laughs> showed up at their camp and like took a bunch of pictures of people and put them online because people like that want to be Twitter famous. And so, like, then it became known to everyone here in the valley, like, oh, the Cubs are doing a mini camp. And then the next day, like, people went over there and they closed the gate to the backfields, which is fine. Like, I'm disappointed that I can't get in and see Christian Hernandez take PP or whatever. Right. But it's probably more important to keep. The QAnon anti-vax loon away from your, you know, teenage Latin American prospects who may or may not be vaccinated. Like, there's just other stuff beyond whether or not I get to see Christian Hernandez take BP that is meaningful in this instance. You don't need me breathing on your kids. Right. On the complex right now. That's fine. Um if they were doing activity in the spring training stadium and not allowing media that has to like stay in the stands, that would maybe be a fundamentally different thing. Um, so like some of that's going, like I can't get into everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Like I can't flash a BBWAA card and just walk into a big league game. <laughs> right. <laughs> or I guess I could, but I can't watch the players work out. Um, gotcha. So uh, I don't know some of the stuff when it really gets going, like, I'll be glad to go do it, but it would be, it would suck if I drove an hour and a half round trip to get to the White Sox place for a hitting camp that they would turn me away from. So I haven't gone out and done anything other than see the high school tournaments
1: that were here over MLK. What's your, I've been to your house. What's your, what is your shortest drive to a big leagues facility?
2: Uh, I can ride my bike to the Cubs and Angels, which are both five miles away. Okay. Um, I can ride up McClintock to the Cubs place on Rio Salado, or I can bike west on Southern Ave to the Angels place.
1: So are you are you going to do any JUCO stuff, or are you just too locked up right now?
2: Probably not this weekend. Maybe I'll touch base with some West Coast cross-checkers. They're the ones most likely to know, like, yeah, so the guy starting the Southern Nevada game two of their doubleheader against Central Arizona is the one I'm coming to see. And so before that, I'm going to skip the first game and go see Justin Crawford playing this, you know, or Jay Sarah's here. So we're going to go see this guy who's pitching. Like, I have the list of the high schools, but I don't have... I haven't interfaced with, like, everyone's agent to get... Advisor, to get a sense of, like, what day is this or that prospect pitching? So I don't know if I'm going to, like... Flying to Vegas, it only takes an hour in the air, but to like go to the airport and sit around and like yeah, taxi, you know, it's like, that's, that's not an hour. I might as well just drive there. And how then how I the can, drive is that like five hours. Yeah. So I might drop everything I'm doing tomorrow and like go, but it would mean me like sprinting out ahead on pirate stuff for next week to put myself in position to be able to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. And then. Like, and we'll the next to... week I for sure will,
2: because it'll just be here. Right.
1: Well, I'd just save it for there, then, right?
2: Well, the junior college stuff will come here. There will there will be a good junior college tournament at the Cubs Stadium next weekend. Mm-hmm. But the but like J Sarah high school doubling up with like a relevant right. JUCO doubleheader. Like it's a it's arguably efficient enough to like it's pulling me up there.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then, you know, once, as far as we know, let's assume, like, things don't go well labor. Once Miley camp opens, they'll beat the same rules. You'll be able to get in. Like, they're not going to try to hide these, are they? We don't think. We have no we, reason to believe they will, right? Right. The, I,
2: I have, at times, been frustrated by my inability to get access to the Reds and Cubs facilities. Like, in the Cubs, sometimes it is at the point where, like, hey, you can't stand there. The grass, we just reseeded it. I'm like, I'm fucking yeah. like, work,
1: <laughs> right?
2: Like, you've hired someone to keep all everyone away from here, and it feels kind of weird. But really, it's it's just more indifference. Like in our time of COVID, it is probably important to have a process and a policy, and like have the ability for people to distance on your backfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to have you have to have people thinking about that stuff and implementing the processes to properly execute that stuff. And some of the teams just don't seem to want to have to do that. Like, they don't want to have to have someone check people in. Like, it's a whole thing. So, yeah. like, just say they can't come. Um, so maybe some teams will just be like, uh, like, do we have to have a media policy? Like, just tell them they can't come for this minor league stuff. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll run into some of that. But yeah, like... Once the schedules get going, obviously we will have some lists that need to be done. And those teams' activities will be at the top of my priority list where I will just be driving to see the Dodgers play the Guardians because those are two of the four teams that we are currently working on. And then the gotcha. information that gets baked into the prospect list will just be live. Um, and that'll be a lot of fun. And so that's why like, between now and prospect week in the top 100, it is important to think about what those teams will be Whose team lists are coming out after the 100 and what are the top 100 candidates from those orgs who we are not naturally going to examine during the course of the next couple of weeks like we will Tampa and Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But like Miami and Cleveland have like a handful of potential top 100 types who we will have to do important like focus sourcing on between now and the 100 right? to get those guys right even though we haven't thought about that org top to bottom yet.
1: Mm-hmm. And then – you're talking, like they're, they're hopefully will be in a good position to travel as well at that point. Right. And you know,
2: I'm the dope who has told my mom like, yeah, I'll come to Florida to see you. And mm-hmm. then I didn't like, <laughs> because the landscape shifted. Uh, and so like, I'm kicking the can down the road, like going home to see my fam in Pennsylvania, seeing my mom for the first time since 2019 at her new place in Florida um and so hopefully we can travel hopefully like mm-hmm. you know you feel good going to Notre Dame as you know whatever Virginia Tech rolls through and you get to go see Gavin Cross right um and that type of thing um and like Tess and Brendan can do pack games and like a California high school kid run and like all that kind of stuff um but you know I've been an idiot before about anticipating that we'll be in some I just have to be better about like yeah, understanding yeah. like when to hit the gas and when to hit the brakes on going out.
1: Yeah it's, got, it's weird like obviously you know things are good here right things are not good things are getting better here and, and the numbers seem to be going down but I, I you know talking to people there I know things like this just kind of hit the fan of the DR again right and so um, you know we are we are a, a, a global community and then what's happening here is not happening elsewhere Right
2: Yes, and especially as everyone gets pulled in from all over the world, and it's one of the most—it's the most wonderful thing about our game—is that you know of all the microcosms that it uh, contains of our culture more broadly, like the world, people from all over the place coming together to like fight for this common goal. Part of it is like the most awesome one, mm. and now it's like all right, come in from. South Korea and Japan, and Thailand and Brazil and the Dominican Republic and Venezuela, and come to Scottsdale, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I didn't go to my you know my cousin's wedding in December, right? Because I would have had to flown into Newark, and you know, like I was just like, shit, like what do I do? And you know, like being on a couple of planes before I see my older relatives is much different than everybody who already lives in that part of the country, like getting in a car and driving to West point right? where everyone on campus has to be vaxxed or have a negative test. Like that seemed okay. But for like me to get on a plane and then go be there, was like not smart. Maybe.
1: Yeah. No, we just got our, uh, we just got our government COVID test in the mail. Maybe I'll have a reason to use them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've got, you know, I've had situational, I'll be at a pharmacy or at a store where I see one and I'll like, Pick one up. I went and get, got my booster shot, and there I was at the counter. And the home kits were right there, and I was like, "I'm going to buy two of these."
1: Yeah, yeah. They thought us four, which is nice. Like I hope we don't need them. It's nice to have if we do, and maybe someone around the neighborhood will need them because I know they haven't been well distributed. So yeah.
2: it's it's not it's a thing that deploy situationally. You know, I went to a football game and then came home, and I was at home for the next five days, and then I tested and was Mm -hmm. negative and then I felt free to like go to the grocery store.
1: Right. That's a good
2: good way to do it. So, I, you know, again, like using it as a tool, I'm not trying to overuse it. So like, all right, it's Friday. I'm going to test so that I can go, you know, to the bar. Saturday, I'm going to test so that I can go to the bar. Right. You know, it's like, got to pick your spots but finding ways to get through it and still go do the stuff and some of it is work and some of it is fun.
1: So, it's, uh, it's time for a moment of culture, Eric. I know you said you were struggling to come up with something. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me what you got. So uh, my wife and I were a little late to the zeitgeist on this one, but we, uh, we did watch Yellow Jackets, which was the hip thing to watch maybe a couple months ago. Um, and we caught up and we finished the season. And it was excellent. Have you heard of this show, Yellow Jackets?
2: I've heard of it, and it is on the growing list of
1: stuff. It's on the showtime. And, um, it's, uh, I think it was 10 episodes, the first season. Um, and there's clearly going to be another season. It is the story of a high school girls soccer team in New Jersey in the 90s. And, uh, they're very good and they're going to go to nationals and they get on the plane to go to nationals and their plane crashes somewhere in the woods. I think it was supposed to be in Canada Okay. and, um, and does not get found, and clearly you get you're very get a very good okay. indication in the first episode that they were not found and things got a little tribal if you will whoa so they got a little lord of the ringsy or not lord of the rings lord of the fliesy not lord of the okay. rings there is no lord of the rings oh, yeah. <laughs> little lord of the fliesy they're saved by elves there's <laughs> elves showed up and A hot elf? ring <laughs> no. <laughs> so no little lord of the fliesy um and and Real, some really bad things may or may not have happened. And there's also some weird supernatural stuff maybe happening as well. And so it, then it becomes like this weird kind of Lost meets Lord of the Flies. And there are stories Dude. going back and forth between um, the narrative of what happened in the woods after the crash and what's going on right now with some of the survivors. Um, and they go back and forth. It's really, really good. Christina Ricci plays... Um, an incredibly unhinged character and she deserves an Oscar and an Emmy. She's unbelievably great in it. Um, A lot of really good performances. It's written very well. Um, The soundtrack is, excuse me, the soundtrack's something else. Soundtrack's like all of your favorite, like 90 alt hits, a lot of bangers, a lot of embarrassing bangers. They're like, yeah, this is a great song. I would only admit that to my close friends, but this is a great song. Um, It's, it's very well done. It's, it's, paced very well um there's a lot of really good performances i highly recommend it It was it was worth the hype i've been um as you
2: know i although i don't know if i've mentioned this on the pod like i get 15 minutes on social media a day through my phone and then it locks me out and so this is one where i saw the title of the thing people were talking about uh but i didn't i wasn't on there enough to like back into what the premise of it is, mm-hmm. so that sounds cool. Um, I it's hard for me. This is a, is this a show or a movie?
1: Like, Yellow Jackets. Yeah, it's a show. It's, it's, it's a it was, show. It's ten hour long episodes. Okay,
2: yeah. I am. It is hard for me to be in a mode right now where I can do anything other than I get a it. movie like a quick shot, yeah, in and out. Yeah, um, and like you know. I've wanted to go to the movie theater to see some of the stuff that's been out. Like, I, I really want to see Licorice Pizza. Mm. Um, there's an anime bell that's playing in the the movie theater down the road here that I, I can walk to. Um, like, there's a, the Green Knight. Like, these are all sorts of things that are, like, piling up that I just haven't been able to, to get to. I will make time to watch football. So that is my... <laughs>
0: you
2: know, I've been watching football, working on prospect lists... And like walking to and from the places that I can like eat and have a couple glasses of wine or an IPA like by the house. Basically what I've been doing. So last weekend's football slate was incredible. Um, you know, the new playoff format in football, they expanded the playoffs from 12 to 14 teams. They kind of rejiggered the the way the bracket is set up so that the two seed no longer has a bye. And then the first weekend of games we had with this format was not. Great. There were some good games, but not many of them. Um, And then the divisional round was four unbelievable, nail-biting games. Uh, Just the type of weekend that is, you know, every once in a while, the planets align and you just have a great sports fan weekend. So they went four for four. And they went four for four, yeah. Um, Including what I told you on the phone, I thought maybe was the de facto Super Bowl uh, the the Bills and Chiefs game and this was like before they played the game I just think yes. there's an argument that these are the the two best teams Um Tom Brady lost Uh it was just it was a, a killer weekend of not that I like took joy in that necessarily the fact that Matt Gay made a game-winning field goal against the Bucks who had like drafted and then cut him <laughs> within the last couple of years was like it's a good story cool. though good story Um, The Cincinnati Bengals, after three decades of being pretty terrible, like the butt of a lot of jokes for the entirety of my time on this planet, basically. (laughs) Like I know that they were in the Super Bowl and lost to Joe Montana and the 49ers before right before I was born. And then they were okay for a little while, but have basically been terrible for the last 25 years. And like now here they are with this gunslinging, you know, cigar smoking shit-talking quarterback that they have. Uh, so that is a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, it's just – I've got the two TVs in the living room, so there's just football and then Dominican Winter League or NBA stuff on the other TV.
1: Yeah, I just you – know, I'm glad you liked football. I just didn't – I don't do football. You
2: don't do football.
1: We watched, uh, we watched Sumo. The, the Sumo tournament ended over the weekend, so we watched the end of that. It's very exciting. Big upsets.
2: It's it's the pace of sumo. So, like, how describe the action to pomp and like ceremonial pieces of this.
1: There's a couple ways you can watch it. If you want to watch it like live, you need to stay up. Like the the it's the day starts. The sumo live stream starts like around nine or ten o'clock p.m. here, but the big leagues don't start till about one in the morning. First, they do like Division 3, Division 2, then they do Division 1, which is the big leagues, right? Right. Okay. So that doesn't really have to one in the morning. And that's the pop isn't bad. It's it's the pop's very entertaining. Like, if people enter, there's the the guy sings their names. Um, there's all the, the, the stomping to get the demons out of the ring and all that kind of stuff. And they line up and stare at each other a few times before the actual match starts, like three or four times. And you, you know, it may been, it's like five or six minutes of very entertaining stuff before the match actually goes. At the same time, if you want to, you can just watch the NHK um, package which they put out like after as soon as the matches are over like you watch, I, we, we watch that during a normal hour which is just like here's every match it's just the match right and you can do like every top division match in about half an hour cuz your average sumo match lasts about 4 seconds right right and so they can do they just do every match in half an hour and we often just watch that cuz we're not going to stay up that late but sometimes watch a replay of the of the of the live streams um Which are always like on YouTube somewhere where they probably shouldn't be um so it's like if you want to do the whole Pomp thing, it would take you maybe hour and a half to two hours to watch the whole big league all the big league matches, if you will okay. uh, that's about maybe eighteen or so matches um and that or you can just do the the highlight thing and watch them on thirty minutes and be all caught up,
2: and then like what is the energy like in the arena. How many people are typically there? You sent me a video right of people like getting thrown into the front row.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous in the front row. There was one day where like the 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 wrestler ended up in in the audience like six times. But it's weird because there it's normally a very like pretty active energetic environment, but everything's changed with the pandemic where mm-hmm. um it's the first of all, the, the tens is reduced, so it's about a 10,000 seat arena reduced to five. But I mean, they're literally told stuff that you know, this never happened here, but like, don't yell, no yelling. <laughs> and so, um, you know, before the very the, the final match, which was going to decide the championship of the whole tournament, it, um, like you know, it was against a guy named Tarina Fuji and a guy named Takeumi, and they were like lining up facing each other, getting ready to go, and someone yelled something, something with Itakeyumi. And they literally like went on the um on the loudspeaker of the stadium and went, please do not yell. As you've been instructed, there is no yelling. You know, and it's just like, Oh, okay, it's right. They can't yell right now. And so it's a very different environment right now. There's just a lot of like weird applause. And so, like at the beginning of, of the Big League section, if you will, before that happens, the Yokozunas do this ceremony in, in the ring that kind of blesses the ring. And like you've seen the sumo guys like lift the leg and stomp and if pre-covid like when he stomps everyone yells and now he stomps and everyone claps politely so it's it's a very kind of weird different vibe right now that hopefully we can get back to i mean there's like you can find like old videos of like fans throwing seat cushions into the ring and stuff and getting super super lively and aggressive at times and now it's just it's, it's become very very polite um and so, hopefully they'll get fixed, but yeah, the rowdiness has been taken out by the pandemic like they're just like it's just please only applaud
2: was is it so is there any variability in terms of like the surface that they're wrestling on no. the way like tennis has clay and no stuff? no
1: yeah, there's no so there's Indoor, there's outdoor any of that no there's like the outdoor like like not not tournaments but like um exhibitions but there's six tournaments a year right three are at the same place in tokyo which is the main like the center of sumo is as this one arena the kaguki and then there's three that they travel for like one's in one's in nagano um one's in osaka and i can't remember the third ones. but then, then they have several places but they're all the, the the ring itself is they're all indoor and the ring itself is, is a very standardized thing So there's no, yeah, there's no like clay and grass kind of, this guy's great on clay, this guy's great on grass. There's nothing like
2: that. Okay. Yeah. So some of the videos that you sent me, like, it's cool to see, I mean, they're giant athletic dudes. You can tell that they have to like build a certain type of size to be competitive. And like, there's definitely technique happening that takes time, I would assume, to have like true appreciation for and be able to distinguish good from bad yeah um, it's not just dudes trying like huge dudes running at one another as hard as they can
1: no there's definitely technique there I, I, we've talked about this i still always wonder like i think if you took because football guys like like basketball players have options if they don't make the nba there's eight million avenues to make money playing in europe or the philippines or wherever right yeah, and if I if I understand it right, like, football guys don't really have those that many options. Like there's, I guess, the arena league and stuff like that, but they don't have tons of options to keep playing football. And I've always wondered if you got like some good but not good enough for the NFL offensive lineman, like some you know six four three twenty athletic dude, and put him in sumo, like would he dominate? But they would never. I doubt they'd do it just because like you have to. You literally have to start at the bottom and make no money for a while.
2: I I think that's an interesting idea and it's like the same one I've had with like tennis for baseball. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like you're a rotational overhand athlete. The tennis piece of it has maybe made you more likely to like take to switch hitting very quickly because of what you have to do. Like I've always thought like, you know, if Serena Williams wasn't playing tennis, if instead you try to get her to play baseball when she's. 13,
1: 14. Right. What do you get? What do you get? Like, yeah. that'd be pretty interesting. Did and you I
2: told, see the Australian girls arm action.
1: Yeah. I was, I got a good arm. action. Yeah. I actually had the, someone asked me for a comment for a piece. They were writing in Australia. And I said, you know, if you watch it, I I've seen, you know, I've seen worse college pitchers, like small program college pitchers. Yes. You know, and like she absolutely could pitch college baseball in the United States. Um, and I've said this before, but like very early in my Astros time, we were asked to, uh, myself and, and Azo Campos now with the Pirates looked at cricket players for a while with the same thought that you just said. Right. Um, and thought it was, there was some interesting guys and, and like, but you know, we really want to want, want the elite guys and here's this guy and he's right. the elite guy. Um, and then, uh, he was, uh, from India. And then we found a piece in Forbes, I believe, showing that he made $45 million last year. And it's like I don't know how you're going to call the guy and go, "Hey, do you want to make fifteen thousand dollars a you know? you want to make thirty thousand dollars a year in Fayetteville, North Carolina? It's a good time, you know. It just wasn't going to happen,
2: right? Yeah.
1: Um, and so uh, that was that was scrapped quickly. But, Genevieve Beacom is her name. Yeah, I could spin it. Looked like it looked like there was spin.
2: Yeah, the, yeah, I mean the arm action is just so so clean looking.
1: But yeah, so. <laughs> I don't watch football, but whenever I do turn on football, my two reactions are, I wonder if that guy could do sumo, or I wonder what that guy looks like in center field. That's how I watch football. Mm. Those are my two things. Either that guy looks like he could do sumo, or that guy looks like he could play center field.
2: There are a lot of center field type guys.
1: (laughs) You know, it's some wide receivers, like 6'4", 220, built out, like, man, that's a five-tool center fielder right there.
2: Yeah, football. I don't know. I've just always loved I've always loved most of the sports and like dialed up and down which of them I cared most about. And at some points, like baseball was not among the, the peak while I mm-hmm. was young. And it really wasn't until the Iron Pigs well, it was really once Citizens Bank Park was built and Jim Tomey and Charlie Manuel were in the fold when like since then baseball has been unusurpable as number one in my consciousness but yeah i love football and basketball and like have put on more hockey this year than in years past wow yeah just going crazy with it but again like it's i haven't seen yellow jackets yet right so like there's only so much
1: time yeah we all have our holes like i've never seen a second of the sopranos it's pretty strong No, i've heard nothing but good things just haven't never done it um i think we're done here Eric. all right go back to your your daily grind thanks for spending thank you a a good chunk of your thursday with me and thanks to everybody for listening and we'll see you next week
0: they say no one loves a quitter but it's been getting hard to love myself i'm neither parent ground now But the earth is giving out